Hi, everyone. It's me, Reshma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. Welcome to Brave, Not Perfect. On this podcast, I talk with up-and-coming changemakers from all around the world, but with a little twist. Every episode is going to highlight ideas from my new book, Brave, Not Perfect. Fear less, fail more, and live bolder. Get ready to break free from the cult of perfection. Today I'm talking with Raw Goddess, my life coach and the woman behind hundreds of change makers, cultural visionaries, and social entrepreneurs. She's the CEO of Move the Crowd, and she's passionate about creating a whole self approach to entrepreneurship. Her unique methodology has empowered so many entrepreneurs to stay true, get paid, and do good. She is such a visionary, and I attribute so much of my success and my failures and my learnings to her. Bra, you describe yourself as a soul coach. What does that mean for you? So for me, being a soul coach means being someone who gets to the heart of the matter, to the truest, rawest, purest, most authentic part of something or someone. And for me, it means spending my time helping others to get to the bottom and the center of who they really are, what they really want, what they're here to do, be, and have in the world. So what I don't even, it's crazy because we've been working together for almost over a decade and I don't even know if I fully know the answer to this question, but like how did, what path brought you to this work? Oh. <laughs> Is that crazy? Journey. I'm like, I don't even I know, know if I know the answer oh. to that. <laughs> I know. It's so interesting. I mean, my journey is full of so many twists and turns, but I, I think that that's the case for most people. You know, like I don't ever really think when, especially given the ways that people are now sort of forging out into the world, I don't think it's ever a straight line. And so for me, I mean, I've, you know, I've been in the private corporate sector. I've been in not-for-profit. I've been in the social sector, now in the for-benefit sector and social entrepreneurial sector. I've worked in sales. I've worked in specialty chemicals, Reshma, which I think like nobody knows. No, 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 no. I did not know that. Nobody knows that I've actually had a, you know, a Fortune 50 corporate life in personal growth, organizational development, conflict resolution, mental health. So I've worked in lots of different industries. And and it's interesting, as I think about it, though, my path has always been about helping people feel more empowered, helping people increase their capacity to do good in whatever field or of endeavor that they've been in and helping people do it in a way that feels authentic and right and aligned with who they really are. And I think that that's always been sort of the through line through all of the different roles I've had. So one of the things I talk about in my book that you taught me about is this idea of the ledge. What's the ledge? Mm-hmm. It is that place where, you know, I say where you are ripe and you are ready to grow. You are ripe, you are ready to leap. And it's interesting because for me, this even sort of understanding of the ledge really comes from the work that I've had the privilege to do with Gail Straub and David Gershon, you know, the sort of the mamas and papa of the empowerment movement and the empowerment institute. And, you know, they always talked about this idea of the growing edge. And 
it's that place where you are ripe and ready to grow. And often when people sort of set goals or set visions, you know, they're either sort of overreaching, Rashma, or they're underreaching, you know? Mm. And a lot of times we talk about people playing small or, you know, we talk about people stretching in ways that uh, are not healthy, you know, sort of taking on too much. And the ledge is like that. It's that perfect edge of where you are, you know, it's a stretch, but it's a stretch that you're ready for. It's a leap that you're ready for. And you get to live from that place. You get to teach from that place. You get to grow from that place. And um, a lot of the work that I do is about helping people find that sweet spot. Yeah. I mean, I, in my book, I call it the scary thing. I've been so I tell people, and I feel this way when it, I know I'm on my ledge, it's, it's like when I'm really, um, I have a lot of anxiety, right? Like there's a decision I want to make or a choice that I want to make, and I'm feeling really uncomfortable. Like I, I can't sleep, like I'm thinking about it, I'm talking about it, and it's like this sense of being unsettled. And I think that that's, sometimes people think, well, if I feel that way, it means I, I shouldn't do it. And some of what you're saying is actually maybe if you feel that way, it's where you exactly should go. Yeah. 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 Because you're being called to the ledge. You know, the way that the ledge haunts you, because that's what you're talking about is the haunting. It's what I call the haunting, you know, which is, you know, as much as you want to put it down or walk away from it, you find yourself right back there, you know, as much as you want to not think about it or not talk about it, you know, there's a reason that it won't leave you alone. And the part of the unrest is about that, you know? It's like it's nudging you for a reason. It's bothering you for a reason. It's calling you for a reason. Yeah. A lot of the young folks I talk to are just are not comfortable with uncomfortability, right? And it's why you have a generation that's heavily medicated, right? It's like we were the generation of kind of resiliency. And this is the generation that, in many ways, because they were raised, it's like uh, need to feel good. How do you almost teach people to sit with that uncomfortability and that it's a good thing? Yeah, it is. You know, it's interesting. As much as we, you know, we think it's just young people there, I will tell you what we are teaching it with adults as well. It's, mm. you have to develop a capacity. If you if you have a commitment to growing, you've got to develop a capacity for uncomfortability for the opportunity and the ability to actually sit in what you don't know, because a lot of it comes from the unknown, right? And to your point with, with our young people, you know, they live in an instant gratification society. You know, they don't know what it is to not be able to touch a screen and just swipe or, you know what I mean, <laughs> or to, to just from your phone order, you know, anything, oh right? To your I'm, like having, I'm like literally having a fight with Sean about this, right? Because he thinks he could just go to Alexa and be like, hey, can you send me that Spider-Man? I'm like, no, like you need. <laughs> to earn that. But it's like, almost like, that's yeah. That's not the reality. That's not, they live oh, in a world of, of instantaneous gratification, of instantaneous call and response. So to even develop any form of patience, you know what I mean, right? So when you, patience, you talk about uncomfortability, it's like sort of, you know, that's even the sort of the extreme end of the, the spectrum to even develop a sense of patience. Like, oh, I have to wait five minutes. 
you know, are you kidding? But I will tell you that, you know, when we start to look at what are the new capacities that we are going to have to develop if we're really committed to solving some of the intractable challenges that we're facing in our time, our ability to be uncomfortable and sit and being uncomfortable for extended periods of time is a muscle we got to build. And it's kind of like you got to go to the gym and you just, you know, you got to start lifting those weights. And, you know, part of our work and with the crowd and what we do is about helping people to develop that capacity and because it's, it's so necessary, so necessary. When, when was the last time you were sitting on your ledge? Every day now. I will tell you, like every- Because you're, you're about, writing your book, is that why? It's because I'm writing my book, because <laughs> I'm launching a new program, you know, like every day. And, and also just because I'm personally asking myself- who do I want to be in these times? You know, every day and every moment of every day, we're seeing something in the news or we're hearing mm-hmm. something in the media. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard not to be shocked and appalled like every five minutes. Mm-hmm. And and angry. Yeah. I think it's the first time for many of us, like we've, we've been celebrating. I, I'm like, it's because the midterms. Like, I, you know, last year, I don't remember going to a holiday party. This year, I'm like, yay. But yeah, you, you turn on the television and you're just like, it's depleting every minute. And, you know, I keep asking myself, is there more that I can do? You know, is mm. there more? Like I just finished Michelle Obama's book. Shout out, uh, Michelle Obama. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it was like, and I had to do it on Audible, Reshma, because I was like, I want to hear it in her voice. And I have to tell you, it was 19 hours and it was 19 <sighs> of the most inspiring hours I'd ever spent. And I, right. and I, read it. I gotta time, listen to it now. Okay. In a long time. And and literally when she got done with me, that's how I feel, right? When she got done with me, <laughs> I'm like, I think I may need to be doing more. Like, and you know, I'm really starting to think mm-hmm. about it. And it's so interesting because there's a part of me that's concerned about overstretching. Mm. You know, because I come from this world of overachieving and, you know, Russia, you know, the driving hard, the striving, you know, and, and we have a lot of that built in. And it's interesting to even watch with some of our young people, some of them are really like learning that balance, but for some of them who get really activated, you can sort of almost see like, okay, you know, at least have one hour where you're like out in fresh air, you know, yeah. talking to your friends, oh. hanging out, you know. Oh, we've talked about that a ton. I think that as a as an activist, I never feel like I have permission to have fun or to relax or to celebrate or to take a breath because it feels selfish. It feels like I'm letting my girls down. I'm letting, you know, I'm letting immigrants down. I'm letting people of color down. Like I need to, I need to constantly be fighting and it's hard. It's a lot. Yeah. See, what yeah. I thought was so amazing about her book too is that it sold more books than any other book, I think, in 2018. And that book was about inspiration. There was no anger. There was no hate. There was no fear. It was yeah. all love. And it I, that gave me hope that maybe yeah. we're turning a corner and that yeah. people are ready for that message. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, for me, the, the reverence she had for her story. And, mm. and I don't think that reverence came from the fact that she was first lady. I think that reverence came from her recognizing at a very early age, the importance of the kinds of investments that were made in her. You know what I mean? And so when we think about our young people and we think about what is so important to give 
this generation that is fast coming, you know, and, and they're thinking about the big problems of the world. You know, that's a way for me that they just blow me away to the degree to which I think a lot of our young people are thinking about the big problems of the world and like what they want to do about it. But the reverence that she had for the people who invested in her and the ways in which she was, you know, she saw those models of how to live and how to be and how to care. And I think that there's something about us being able to also see and have that kind of reverence for our own stories, whatever our journeys are, yeah, you know, wherever we come from. Well, she also talked about what you've taught me, which is that some people are going to like you and some people won't, and that's okay, right? But it's being, it's like that practice of being okay with that. And it feels like she got to a point in her life where she got okay with that. Uh, She's certainly okay with that now. But I thought that that was a powerful, that was a powerful lesson, especially as a woman of color, right? To really absorb and to like model. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as somebody who lives in people's purpose all day long, like that, you know, that's what I get the privilege to do for a living is, is help people find their purpose, live in their purpose, lift their purpose into the world. You know, I will say that there's always, anytime you touch what it is that you believe you're being called to do, there's always this moment where you shrink back and go, am I worthy of this? You know, and I think of uh, the phenomenal teacher, Bob Proctor, who actually says, that's the wrong question. The question, is it worthy of you? Because you're going to trade your time for it. You're going to trade your life for it. You're going to trade, you know, you're going to trade your blood, sweat, and tears for it. Is it worthy of you? And, um, you know, I think that's where she got to, you know, to your point, I think in the context of the journey. But I know many leaders who continue to grapple with this, who are on some of the biggest stages in the world. And it, those voices never right. fully go away, right? The inner critic, the imposter syndrome. The inner critic. See, that, see, that's interesting because the flip side of that, right, is that if you're also always asking whether this opportunity is worthy of you, how do you ever feel satisfied in what you've accomplished? And get that moment to take a second and just because I think highly ambitious people, I'm you know, like me, right? Then never, mm. never, never are satisfied. Never yeah. satisfied. It's never good enough. You know? My husband like Nahal tells me all the time, like it's just come on, Rashma. You know, like take a moment. Critical. It's and and I will say to you that it is totally symptomatic of imposter syndrome to be un- literally unable to see your achievement unable to see your progress. And it, and it is a practice, Rashma. Like you, like celebration has got to be built in and scheduled in like we schedule the gym or we schedule our yoga class. You know what I mean? If we get to that, right? Or we schedule the other things that are really important in our world that forward our work. Celebration has got to be a practice that you're actively engaging as you move through the different cycles of projects and initiatives and things that you're working on. And I think, you know, this idea of when is it ever enough or is it ever enough? I think the, our work as leaders is to be mindful about what's driving that. You know, if we're being driven by inspiration you know, that's one thing. But if we're being driven by this sort of sense of self-deficiency, dare I say, right? Like in other Mm -hmm. words, we're not enough. You know, we're not doing enough because 
we're not enough or it's not enough or there's not enough. In other words, if there's a sense of scarcity or lack that's driving, then we have to be careful about that. You know, I think there's a sense of, uh, of healthy dissatisfaction that's important when we're talking about growing and wanting to be of contribution in the world. Um, but then there's also that unhealthy dissatisfaction and we have to learn how to discern the difference between the two. Do you think that women, women of color struggle more with celebration than, uh, than, than men? If you so, why, do you, why, why is that? That's an interesting question. I do from the from the perspective of 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 again the way that we've been conditioned in terms of our roles, right? And so women of color have not only had to hold down the home, but they've always had to work. You know, the the idea or the concept of the working woman is not a new concept, you know, for many poor women and not a new concept for many women of color. They've always had to work in order to be able to feed their families and to enable their families to survive. And so, you know, for a woman of color, it's like the work is never done. You know, or, you know, or again, like I said, for women who are, you know, working class or, or poor women, like the work is never done because it's the house and it's the family and then it's, you know, and then it's the boss and the, you know what I mean? And it doesn't end and it's the community and the church environment and this. So the, the list of expectations is infinite. The other thing I would say is that challenges sort of our capacity to celebrate is to, is our ability to see our own beauty. And our ability to see our own brilliance and our ability to see our own contribution. You know, so much of the indoctrination of we, which is important and powerful, has been sort of entrenched in the conditioning. So it's, you know, it's a team effort. It's an us effort. It's, you know what I mean? And there are places where that's important and good and right. But there are places where we invisibilize mm. ourselves. And don't take credit for our contributions and give it away to others. All of that. So no reason to celebrate if you're not, if you're not even seeing. If you didn't seeing, do it. Yep. You're not even seeing what you're doing. Yeah. I, I definitely suffer from that. What do you think is the bravest thing a woman can do? Right now? I mean, well, I, I think every day, all day is tell the truth and really be willing to let go of what you think you have to manage in terms of other people's reactions. I think we're constantly managing how other people receive us, you know, and I think that that's knee deep in the conditioning for women. I think it's knee deep in the conditioning for many people of color. We got to make sure everybody's okay with our presence and okay with our existence. And I think this opportunity to be a little bolder, a little wilder, a little more unpredictable with the willingness to not manage <laughs> what everybody thinks and feels is probably right now one of the bravest things that we can I do. I couldn't agree. Right. It's like not using qualifiers or not reading our email a hundred times or like saying no. It's funny how like these everyday acts of bravery are so hard for us, but like when we get it, it's game changing for our lives. Yeah. Yeah, big time, big time, because it's like the first time you do it and the sky doesn't fall down, you kind of go, wow, mm. maybe I can do it again. Or the bottom doesn't fall out, maybe I can do it again. And for some of us, the bottom might fall out, but we still survive it. Because so I think this piece about our resiliency, and you, you talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but I think, you know, especially kind of right through this moment that we're in right now, our ability to touch our resiliency 
I think is also game changing in whatever way that we can touch our strength. And I feel like every time we speak our truth and we do it in a way that's unapologetic, we're touching another part of ourselves that is about this reservoir of power Mm. that we always move with, whether we are able to acknowledge it or see it in ourselves or not. So true. So can you think of a moment where you decided to be brave, not perfect? I don't even know if Rob Goddess was ever suffered from perfectionism. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Reshma, you need to come sit in next to me or be inside my head for just five minutes, mama. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, every, every day now, like literally, I feel like every day I'm having to let go right now of just like, can we get it out? Like we just launched a new program and it's something I've never done before. And I'm so excited about it. It's bringing together a high level women, of, a circle of leaders and, you know, and it's just about this next frontier of growth and impact and, you know, I was scared out of my mind. Like, what if nobody comes? What if nobody says yes? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and again, it's, you know, to your point, no matter where we are in our lives or what we're creating, you know, how do we do that? But but keep leaning in, you know, because there was a point, there was a moment where I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't do it. Yep. You know, <laughs> started to talk myself out of it. And I was like, no. I have a commitment. I think there's something here. I think that we're in a moment where I think this is needed or wanted, given the conversations I'm having, I'm going to put it out there, you know? And I did. And I mean, it was, it was the same thing with starting Move the Crowd, you know, lots of people, lots of great advice. But at some point I kind of went like, okay, am I going to, am I going to give myself permission? I kept looking for permission to start the company. You know what I mean? I kept looking for the jury of public opinion to anoint me okay to be able to do this. And it, it wasn't until I sort of said, are you going to give yourself permission, Rod, yeah. to do it? And whatever, whatever happens, rise, fall, fly, fail, whatever it is. And I think that's the part with women, like to not have the certainty, not have to have the certainty of success, but to say, I'm going to give myself permission no matter how it rolls and go for it and just see. Let's just see yep. what's possible. Yep. I call it the, the permission to let yourself try. Yeah. You know, which is interesting that we all still need that. Well, this is great. Thank you so much, Ra. This was awesome. Oh, it's my joy. I adore you. And thank you for all that you do, Reshma, truly. Oh, thanks, Ra. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave Not Perfect. Want to make bravery a part of your everyday routine? You can buy my newest book, Brave Not Perfect. Fear less, fail more, and live bolder. It's on shelves now and available at your favorite local or online retailer. I can't wait to hear what you think. Till next time, this has been another episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Reshma Sajani. Brave Not Perfect is produced by Tanya Zaparonik and Emily Scheinbar and edited by Jenny Josephson with music composed by Poddington Bear licensed under a Creative Commons license.